Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. The season is well underway, we're getting stuck right into it now. Massive matches, furious fans and surprising Scotland squads. It's Rangers v Celtic on Sunday, but Glasgow doesn't have the monopoly on big games this weekend. That's right, because it's the Dundee Derby tonight. Hearts and Hibs are both feeling the pressure. We chat to former hippie Tam McManus about Heckingbottom's headaches. And we'll be looking in at Livy, defying the odds once again. I'm the underdog, Andrew Slavin, and alongside me in the studio, from The Telegraph, it's the Bulldog. Hello, JJ Bull. Hello. <laughs> I think you're the underdog, it's good. Thanks. And we welcome back European football journalist, no dog involved. The sexy dog. Kieran Canning. That's a weird taste you've got, JJ. <laughs> Do you, you don't get bald dogs. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Do you? I don't think so. Be a rare breed. Maybe it'd be quite expensive. <laughs> maybe, like, maybe, yeah. Like, what, like, um, what are those cats that you get? The baldy cats? I can't remember. I don't know. <laughs> but um, speaking <laughs> of Scottish guys involving themselves in European football, special shout out to Liam Henderson. He, yeah, he played in Verona's 1-1 draw with Bologna last Sunday, which makes him only the fourth Scottish player to appear in Serie A. Henderson also did his post-match interview in oh. Italian. Ripetiamo oggi partita molto difficile ma molto molto contento e, ma adesso la partita è finita e la testa su Lecce la prossima settimana. Guys, I put it to you. Name the three other Scots that played in the Serie A. Graham Suneso. Uh, I don't know. I really have no idea. Joe Jordan? Oh yes, I knew the And I know the other one. Thanks to uh, only an excuse fame. Oh yeah, Dennis Law, because in the uh, Johnny Watson uh, impersonation of Dennis Law, he would just rhyme off the uh, the three Italian teams they <laughs> played for, which were uh, Inter, Internazionale, and Inter Milan. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, yeah. so yeah, Dennis Law for Torino and Graham Suneso, did you say, for Sampdoria? Yeah. The last time a Scottish player featured in Serie A was in 1986 when Sunis lined up against Diego Maradona's Napoli. I bet you put in some friendly challenges. Yeah, that would be a good fight, wouldn't it? Sunis against Maradona. Yeah. I think he'd he would. He's he'd definitely he'd, a biter, isn't he? He'd bite you, then run and hide behind the bigger boy. <laughs> well, it, more, more pressing about this story is Liam Henderson. We know his brother is actually at Celtic as well and got a few starts for them last season. But should Henderson be getting a look in for the Scotland squad now he's playing in the top flight in Italy? He's only 23. I think, unfortunately for him, although it'd be interesting to see how he develops, I mean, if he plays well in Serie A, then it's definitely got to be in with a shout, is when you look at the Scotland squad that was announced this week, we are very blessed in midfielders and wide players. We have been for a long time. But unfortunately, we don't appear to have a goalkeeper, a centre-back, a right-back, or a striker. And uh, the last time I checked, that might be a problem. Do <laughs> <laughs> you have not much faith in uh, David Marshall, then? I mean, he's like run-of-the-mill championship goalkeeper. Is that really going to qualify us for the Euros? Same goes for, you know, you could argue Ollie McBurney, even though he doesn't want to play for Scotland, is a £20 million striker, but is he really good enough? We don't know if that story was just a bit of a laugh. Bit of a bit, I, know, I know that the clip that was going around on Twitter where he was basically saying he didn't want to be going away with Scotland. We don't know if that was a bit of a laugh or not. But, but no, I think it's good to think that... that He's gone out there, really embraced it, because this isn't the first um, 
Italian team he's played for. I think he went off to Barry, Barry. first. Yeah, that's right. And then resigned, did well for them, and then resigned so think, from them. I think Barry doesn't exist anymore, is that not? Did they not fold? Don't know. It doesn't like a Scottish club, they know. Barry. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Uh, uh, it must have been attracting for that reason. Well, like, so exactly what Kieran's saying, the midfield is pretty great. I mean, McTominay's not even a guaranteed player. He's starting for Man United. You know, it's uh, really, really well stocked there. It's great that Liam's doing well in Serie A, and I'd like to see Scotland players playing abroad. They can get high quality match time, which is obviously going to help. But the only the worst way it could be for him is if he's a left back. I think we're going to talk plenty on the Scotland squad later on. But should, we should move on to, like, there's a pretty big game at the weekend, I think. Aberdeen versus Ross County. <laughs> Six additional minutes to be played. Jones delivers. No, we are of course talking about Rangers versus Celtic on Sunday at Ibrox. After a great week for both clubs in Europe, both teams threw to the group stages of the Europa League. Celtic eased past AIK with a dominant display in Stockholm, winning 4-1 on the night and 6-1 on aggregate. And Alfredo Morelos was the hero for Rangers, scoring a 91st-minute winner against Legia Warsaw. We were watching it here at Totally Towers, contemplating the effects extra time might have on Rangers on Sunday. Well, Morelos popped up, got the winner, and first and foremost, good news for the coefficient. Oh, it's great news for the coefficient. <laughs> we all think about the coefficient. Yeah. Absolutely. When I think about how Celtic Rangers pull away from the rest of the clubs in Scotland, <laughs> the first thing I think of is, oh, it's good. it's good that they're lining their pockets with millions and millions of pounds. Kind of back to that old status quo of just Celtic and Rangers and yeah, the latter they were, they're stages. They're going to have millions and millions of pounds more than the opposition anyway. Uh, so no. isn't it better for the Scottish game? They're both playing European football until Christmas at least. Yes. And it sort of evens up the title race as well. If, for example, uh, Celtic had got there and Rangers hadn't, then yeah. might have given Rangers an upper hand. Obviously. obviously I think you're probably right, because the way they both be tired means that Hearts, Hibs and Aberdeen will be able to mount more of a challenge against them this year for the title. So, yes. No, no at least, but, no, but unless, <laughs> say for example, they had both gone out, you could get a situation where they're just romping the league completely and it's like 90 plus mm -hmm. points battle for the title. Whereas this way, at least it should be there should be more competitive games within the league. Obviously, Celtic doing the travelling this time around. They'll come back uh, and head to Ibrox on Sunday. But first of all, what did you think of their performance tonight? It seemed to be the AIK were all over it. They well, had yeah, they looked, the ball. they looked like they had more of the ball and more of the chances early on. But maybe that was because but, they just moved the ball quicker when they had it. And then James Forrest does what he does best in Europe and comes up with the goods. It was a sort of um, pretty much what we've seen from Celtic all seasons so far in that there are major defensive questions. Ball and golly, again, at fault for the, the IK goal, giving away the, a, the a penalty, penalty mm -hmm. and caught out of position quite a few times. Looking ahead to Sunday, there's another big problem because Ayer went off injured early and it looks a, like he's a doubt he's a major he? doubt according to Neil Lennon and he's been the one Celtic defender even though he's been moved about from centre back to right back who's looked um, decent so far this season so I think there's major defensive problems but in line with the other European games and the league games today going forward very very good from mm -hmm. Celtic Forrest, Edward, Christie Mikey Johnson particularly for the second goal all very impressive uh, that touch you were saying the, the goal that Forrest scored there are a few players in 
the Scottish Premiership yeah. who can do that a little touch it's the composure it's, it's the, first of all the ball from Eduard is, is tidy yeah. but it's the, it's the touch to drag it across the defender and fool the defender isn't it absolutely yeah and it's and it's the yeah like I said the composure to then flick that so many players were just battered at first time but mm. it's really well taken goal I mean both you can see clearly both Celtic and Rangers are are more than good enough to be in this so, so, so what did you think about Rangers tonight as well it, it felt like a pretty nerve wracking 90 minutes yeah, almost the opposite of Celtic in that defensively they were pretty good. Leisure had a few chances, particularly there was one in the, the first half. Yeah, when he got um, through the When they got through yeah. inside Tavernier. Although McGregor did make a few saves, they were never stunning saves or saves you expect them to make. They were maybe poor finishes on, on Leisure's part. But it wasn't quite happening for them going forward. There was a lot of crosses in the box and although ultimately Morelos ends up heading in the winner, he's not someone that strikes you as a kind of target man striker. Yeah. But got there in the end against, you know, a pretty decent standard of opposition. And fair play to Gerard, you know, two shots at it and he's got them through four qualifiers two seasons in a row. And a good decision from Gerard bringing Jordan Jones on who got the assist, I think, replacing Scott Arfield. I don't know about Rangers yet. So you see a lot of people say that they're a different beast this year and that they're going to be a real force but mm-hmm. I, although they have all these great players I still don't know how they create chances other than just having better individual players it's a weird thing to say but a lot of the plans seem to be that like their their playmakers are Tavernier and Barisic who get into advanced positions and then cross early but if you want to have one striker up front as he did tonight as Morelos he's not going he's going to win some headers and score some like he did that's after about 400 crosses it's not going to work every single time, especially in the Premiership where you've got massive, burly centre-backs who are heading things away. So then you need someone in behind them who's going to produce it. And there's two new players who are clearly very good with the ball and are great footballers, but aren't affecting play enough in the final mm. third, especially uh, Shea Ojo, who clearly hugely talented and will score some pingers. But there's still not enough creativity from the individuals and as a team mm-hmm. for them to be as good as they should be mm-hmm. right yeah it was it was interesting I think we, we noted as well like Ryan Jack kind of folding into a right back position couldn't get the ball so it was yeah. really it was really weird but he, he did take stuff for them yeah. he's been so good and then but they allowed Stephen Davis to try and do that but a lot of the stuff was going down the, well, down the what wind. I think yeah. would be interesting is who plays as centre forward on Sunday because he's sort of rotated between Defoe and Morelos you think it'd be Defoe right through the season especially because of the resting and because of the chance that Morelos might get wired up and well so there's that so Morelos has never scored against Celtic there's a chance that he loses his head although so far this season he's been much better at that but he's hard to drop after he's scored the winner mm-hmm. but I, I just think coming back to what you were saying Defoe seems to do that linking the play better than Morelos. Morelos is so hungry for goals sometimes, you feel as if he shoots even when there's a better option on. Yeah. Whereas particularly, if we look back to the the last game between Rangers and Celtic at Ibrox, Defoe was, was excellent at that, he, particularly if the goal that Arfield scored. I think it was a very clever dummy. But yeah, he, he, he liked to play much better for the, the midfield runners coming on. Um, and I wonder if that's going to cause more trouble to a pretty dodgy Celtic defence mm-hmm. than Morelos, who's just solely focused on going for goal himself. I know they'll double up on the in the right surely to target um, Mbombo because as we saw tonight, although he seems to be quite good going forward, his positioning from the few things that we saw, he's off. He's caught the wrong side often. He doesn't maybe respond to things that have happened around him quickly enough. Yeah. So you stick someone on the right. And then you have Tavernier overlapping. You imagine they'd probably go Ojo, Ojo on the right, cutting in mm. on his left, but with Tavernier going 
round outside or overlapping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Rangers have got to target both full back positions because Ayers, of course, yeah, good chance he's going to miss out. I'm not sure if El Hamed will be back. What about their new signing? Bauer. Uh, uh, Moritz Moritz Bauer Um, I I mean I haven't seen enough of him to make judgement but I mean that's a big call to throw in a guy who hasn't played a lot of games for his debut uh, Bauer's got 24 hours to get ready exactly very good we saw Celtic welcome back Fraser Forster but Ibrox fans may have seen a familiar face in the Legia uh, fans uh, where the Legia fans were well apparently so we've seen on Twitter that um, Bournemouth goalkeeper and former Celtic goalkeeper Arthur Boritz was in the crowd um, with a megaphone <laughs> rousing the crowd up no, at, known uh, as the uh, the holy goalie for his uh, blessing himself when he was at Celtic Cel- blessing himself I was going to celebrate in either. front of the, uh, the Rangers fans yeah, he, Boric came to Celtic from Legia Warsaw and uh, is a massive Legia fan. And when Celtic beat uh, Spartak Moscow and penalties to qualify for the Champions League Maybe a few years back, I do like players get involved in this stuff. An, an L shape in the celebration, and apparently that was a reference to, to Legia. It was, a, it was a busy night at Ibrox fan wise. Yes, because of the flares, I guess. Well, so we had the flares going on. Uh, which... Oh, yeah, they had part of the stand closed. Yeah, <laughs> did, yeah. You so, see, yeah. did you see Old Fun Facts with their Twitter update? So, like, Legia fans announcing a new Pope because <laughs> of the, the smoke that was so coming. We through. had Arthur Boris oh, in the stands. Honestly. We had the Legia fans unfurled a massive uh, TIFO of uh, the former Pope, Pope. John Paul II. Oh, Legia fans then stopping the game because uh, they had so many flares going at one point. It was impossible to see what was happening. You had part of the Rangers section closed by UEFA for uh, sectarian singing in previous rounds. And Rangers have had another sanction from UEFA. So for the first away match of the group stages of Europa League, they'll not be sending any fans. There was also instance with uh, Celtic fans in Stockholm as yes, well that's correct, uh, yeah. with the police. How big are these first games between Celtic and Rangers? If Celtic win at Ibrox, how much of a sucker punches that to Gerard's preparations for this, the whole season? You know, you'd go through the whole summer filling your players full of belief, saying this is yeah. this is the year. You know, you'd have it from the board. It's the big thing is Rangers have got to stop nine in a row, right? Never mind ten at the moment. Equally, if Rangers win. How much panic might set in from Celtic's camp? You surely just try and keep it level, right? I mean, it's got nil-nil written all over it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, yeah. Probably, I, I think it's good. Look at the way that Celtic are playing at the moment. It's got 3-3 three, three written all over it. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I don't think Rangers can score, though. That's the problem. They're, they're scoring from set pieces, mostly. The goals at Kilmarnock were, were corners. Mm-hmm. The goal against St Mirren was a, a free kick. A lot of their chance creation, and we saw tonight, a lot of it's to do with crosses into the box. And uh, they'll get space, especially if um, Bombo's playing at left, but to get crosses in and they cross early, so they've got that. They have to work out how they're going to create these chances. It's a bit of a shame that the game has come after a uh, Europa League game. Yeah, yeah. Because you think they might not have the same level of fitness, got to move their squad around. But it's a also, bit. for both of them, it comes at the end of this run of playing eight qualifiers. So it's not just that they played Thursday night, they played every midweek for the past eight weeks. Coming back to your point on how much it affects the season, I think it has the potential to have a massive effect on the title race if Celtic win, because of what you're saying about deflate Rangers a bit. Celtic the away last season we saw all four games were won by the home team mm-hmm. and that was in the first season since there's been this switch and there's now far fewer away fans at the games as well so I would imagine over the course of the four games the uh, home team is going to be going to be pretty dominant so I think it's more important for Rangers to win this one because if you can if you imagine if Rangers do win this one they're ahead going into the international break they've beaten Celtic 
they really well believe that it's on Celtic. On the other hand, if they lost, they have time to rebuild. You know, still a long way to go. But if they do go there and win, it's laying down a massive marker. Well, it's a big indicator. Who knows what's going to happen? But I kind of agree with JJ. I think it's got nil-nil written all over it. Cuts to 8-4. <laughs> You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Motherwell host Hibs at Fur Park on Saturday. This is a fixture that once gave us a 6-6 draw back in May 2010. So should we be banking on something similar? Hibs can't stop conceding 11 in the last three games and Motherwell's last three games have seen 14 goals scored. So former Hibs striker Tam McManus joins us now to give us his insight. Tam, you wrote an article for Football Scotland discussing the hysteria around Paul Heckingbottom with some fans. Do you think the 6-1 at Rangers has transformed public opinion? Uh, I think it has. I think that you know Hibs have had such a good record recently against Rangers. Um, I think a lot of Hibs supporters expected Hibs to go through there and, and, and get a result. But I just think that Rangers are a different animal this season, particularly at Ibrox. Um, uh, obviously, the sending off doesn't help. And Paul Heckingbottom said himself that he, you know, I think they were two one down with ten men. He went for it. You know, he, he tried to get a result here as well, getting beat. You know, five one and two one six one. You know, and, and I don't think the Hibs fans quite quite got that. But it was a bit of a down in the end, and I think that has piled a bit of pressure on them amongst the Hibs supporters. They haven't had a great start to the season. I've seen them in the in the Betfred Cup, mm-hmm. uh, they struggled past Alawa 2-0, you know, they struggled past Arbroath, you know, it, it was a bit, all a bit kind of one pace, still in Albion, they drew with them away from home, so it's been a slow start, um, and I think the Hibs fans were expecting a lot more, um, he's obviously brought in, I think, seven or eight boys from down south as well, who haven't quite hit the ground running either, so there is a bit of pressure on them, um, and obviously a big game coming up against Motherwell, who I think will be round about, you know, the top six, same as Hibs this season. So I think Hibs are under pressure to go and get a result at the weekend. There's always a lot of pressure um, being a manager at Hibs, but Heckenbottom <coughs> had a good start near the end of, uh, when he came in near the end of last season. And maybe that's why the expectation may have been higher. So, yeah. Tam, how do you assess the job he's done so far? If I'm being really honest, I'll look at the, the Hibs team that he inherited from Neil Lennon. Um, as you said, about April, you know, March, April time uh-huh. to now. And I don't see them being a better side that they inherited, if I can say that. You know, the boys he's brought in, Christian Doyle, for example, 300 grand they paid for him. Um, I, I don't quite see it with him as of yet. I know it's early. I don't want to write him off uh, just yet. But for that kind of money, that's a massive outlay for Hibs. You know, he signed a three-year deal as well. I'd say he'd be drawing a couple of grand a week as well. So when I look at him and I look at somebody like Lon Shankland, who was available, the pressure is on him. Hibs is, you know, I was at Hibs for eight years. The, the supporters demand success. They demand that you're up there, and they won't be accepting Hibs um, struggling and being in the bottom six. That's for sure. But um, when I look at the overall job he's done, I think he's got a lot to improve on, uh, and he's, he needs these new signings to hit the ground uh, and start firing quickly. It's hard for any manager though at that level, right? Because the budget difference you've got between like Hibs, Hearts, well, Hearts would have quite a bit of money, but Hibs, Aberdeen. <laughs> Motherwell and the and the the top two. Heckenbottom came in and then I thought they were playing quite nice football last season. That nice kind of four one four one lot of passing, but mm-hmm. it must take a while this season to get the new boys integrated. I mean, I, I mean, you must have had experience yourself having new boys come in and yourself going to places and having to adjust. How long does it take for that really to to settle in? You know, people will, will poke fun at the Scottish game and say the quality wise it's not as great. One thing I see everybody, you've got to be really really fit to play in Scotland. You've got to be fit because it's. 
obviously a lot longer balls. It's all it's all end to end, and you've got to be able to get up and down all day. And I just think that some some guys from England come up the road, and I think they, I don't think they quite appreciate how how fit you've got to be. And I think a lot of the hip supporters are looking towards you know the Colin Caldwell era where he brought in all these guys. James Collins is doing really well actually for, for looking at them, and um, they brought guys like that, and then they were they were poor at hips. I just I think they're kind of looking. Down that road again, I hope it's not another Colin Calder with the hope it's not another Terry Butcher type thing where he's a new manager's come in, he's brought seven or eight in from England mm-hmm. and they're all diddies. <laughs> and 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 that, I think that's what his fans are thinking. I, you know, you've got to give the guys a bit of a chance, but one thing I would say, you've got to be fit up here. If you're not, Joey Barton get found out as well. You've got to be able to run run in, in Scotland and that's that's a, that's a, a given. Hey, what do you what do you think Heckenbottom does now? Do you, do you think, what do the fans need of him? Is it results? Is there a certain style of play they need to be having? I think the Hibs supporters are, are, they want their, their teams to play good football even when I was there uh, under Alan McLeish we were very good to watch we were very attractive but he had a big budget you know he had Russell Latterpey Frank Sozzi Mixed with Pat Lyon and he had a lot of good players yeah. Bobby Olmson was the complete opposite we were turgid to watch we were terrible to watch <laughs> and the yeah. Hibs and the Hibs supporters the Hibs supporters just didn't like Bobby um, and then Tony Mowbray came in and again it was a total flip Mowbray's team was, was excellent to watch mm-hmm. A lot of good football players, so I think the Hibs fans demand a certain style of play in terms of getting the ball down, being exciting to watch, being attacking football, playing the goals. So I think that's what they'll be looking for. They're obviously looking for results as well uh, alongside that. And you brought in Scott Allen, who's one of the most talented players in Scottish football. The thing that I think he's not got quite the balance yet in midfield, I think he played him on the right-hand side against St. Johnson last week, which is not his, his position. He needs, dare I say, a Marvin Bartley type behind him or a John McGinn type to go and break things up for him and give him a wee bit of freedom he's not got that in a minute he's got Stevie Marlin in there talented player not a ball winner mm-hmm. and Josh Feller Josh Feller's I thought he'd been better to be honest with you he's, too, he's got a bit of a slow start but he's not got a ball winner in there a real tough tackle midfield player and I think he's got to get that now before the window closes because I think that's Hibs' major problem they need a sitting midfield that's defensive minded I watched Christian Doys a few years ago when he was at Forest Green and he and he looked good, but that was at the fifth tier of English football. That's not elite levels Scottish Premiership. Yeah. So it's a total different kettle of fish. I'm not surprised he's taken a while to adjust. He's not adjusted yet. He needs a goal. But it's not just problems at up front. They've got problems at the back now because um, injury news coming in. David Gray. Hibs captain is out for 12 weeks so um, bad news on all fronts really from Hibs I think the problem with Hickenbottom is they just made so many changes and they brought in so many players yeah. that are new to, to Scottish football and therefore one they're all bedding in to Hibs but they also don't really have the credit in the bank from people in Scotland that have seen them before so even if they were struggling at the start they'd say it's fine we've seen I know it's not the case but say Scott Allen wasn't playing well they'd be saying oh, it's fine we've seen him before we know what he's capable of um, I think Hickenbottom's coming out with a lot of strange statements. I mean, there was a few outbursts last season which were a bit unnecessary. And then the whole Scott Allen thing last weekend where he was like, I didn't realise there was a rule that I wasn't allowed to take Scott Allen off because they took him off when, when Hibs were still winning at 2-1. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately going to concede a last-minute equaliser to, to St. Johnson. So. But yeah, all those teams behind Celtic and Rangers, Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs... Kamarnock, look how they've fallen off Maybe. last season. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the the ones you would expect to be challenging for thirds haven't really started well. So there is 
time there in that sense for for Hibs to to get things right. And it's only three games as well. Like it's really hard to possibly pull anything apart. So but what what about Motherwell guys? Seven goals this season for Liam Donnelly. He's been called up to the Northern Ireland squad for the first time in five years. It wasn't a great start from Motherwell to the season, but winning at the weekend. We're starting to see this side under Stephen Robinson starting to produce. Yeah, and if you look at the the fixtures they had, Livingston away in opening day of the season, given Livingston's home record last year and how they've done, they've you know, exceeded the expectations again so far. Then Celtic at home, where I felt they played really well for at least half an hour, if not the first half. They played really well in the League Cup games until the Hearts defeat. Um, so yeah, get them back on track. Hamilton is a game they expect to win. They did it. And this will probably be a, a better judge because I was a bit surprised that before the start of the, se- the league season, um, a lot of people seemed to be a bit overreacting to Muddle's League Cup games and were, mm-hmm. were putting them up there as contenders for third as well, which mm-hmm. I wasn't convinced about. But having seen, as we say, having seen the rest of the league so far, if they get things right, they can, they can be up there. Certainly challenging for the top six. It's 15 long years since a league title has been seen in North London. Football fans have had to make do with the scraps of FA Cups and Champions League spots. But in order for a team to emerge, they must first declare themselves kings of the urban jungle. And so Paddy Power are offering money back as a free bet if Arsenal beats Spurs this weekend. Paddy Power, home of the money back special. Selected markets only applies to bets on all losing goals, score a correct score and what odds Paddy bets on the match. Max refund £10 as a free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. The Dons meet Ross County on Saturday and it's been the definition of an average start for Aberdeen. One win, one draw, one defeat. Kelly Aberdeen was a drab affair, JJ, safe to say? Uh, yes, I agree. <laughs> um, Kelly, like both these teams are wanting to try and finish high up the table, as every team does, but uh, it's... Like Kelly, I, I've watched a lot of Kelly this season. I wrote a thing this week in the, in the Telegraph yeah, about yeah. Um, breaking down all the games and how I think they're changing from last season. And I'll go with Kelly if I talk about Aberdeen. But the, the change seems to be that Alessio's trying to make them pass more. Their, their passes per game is slightly up. I mean, it's really early in the season to try and draw anything from stats, right? But the passes per game are slightly up. Long balls are slightly down. So they're trying to make them play in a different way. I think that is relevant because they've played Rangers already, which is obviously a tough team. So you'd n- normally be against them. But the first thing, if and it's kind of stereotyping, but an Italian manager's first thing they want to do is make sure they are defensively solid. Mm-hmm. So the fact they didn't concede here is great. I mean, they're limiting Aberdeen mostly to long-range chances. But I think a lot of it is that Aberdeen's squad hasn't quite gelled yet. They looked decent against Hearts, the first game of the season. Yeah. St Mirren was a bit of a shock. I think we have a wake-up call, but I think then that has a lot to do with, or a bit to do with the Europa League here, there, back again. You say the Hearts game was a good start. They still had the last-minute winner, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it could have been a draw. And, yeah. and they were 2 and up and conceded two and were down. So it's an odd one, but like I like the look of the squads. I think it looks really promising. And uh, So what's missing then? Well, a lot of Aberdeen fans think they miss a 10, right, to play behind Cosgrove. But I'm not so sure, because the problem they've had for ages is that no one sits in the hole as a 6, right? They always play a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. I know they've worked on playing a back 3 a lot for this season. But you've got um, Funzo Ojo looked decent at times. He got himself sent off in the Europa League and needs to just 
to step up. And McInnes has more or less said the new boys have got to step it up a level because they're not where they need to be. And the ones who are already there are also needing to carry it. Sam Cosgrove and Lewis Ferguson are mostly carrying the team. And Andrew Constantine, actually. Weirdly, who's like top of passing stats and wise and things like that. It's really odd. Um, That's impressive. Yes. Good old Constantine. Why is he not in the Scotland squad, eh? <laughs> well, he'll never get a chance now. But the... Uh, this is the problem they've got. Now they've got Ojo who can play that six role because they never had someone to link passes together and get up the pitch. Craig Bryson's just come back. He's been injured for a long time. He's to get in the, in the groove again. You know, obviously injury problems at Aberdeen with Scott McKenna, Mikey Devlin um, and Ash Taylor looks like he's still unavailable. Who knows what he might be back. I think he's coming close to it. But there's an injury crisis at Dingwall. Um, we've got Ross Draper, Don Cowie, Lewis Spence, Brian Graham, Michael Gardine, Nathan Baxter and now Lee Erwin is out for six weeks. You know, this is off of Ross County losing 4-1 to Livingston. What's going wrong? They lost 4-1 to Livingston. Oh, <laughs> thank you very much. So that, moving that, on. I know, I know that sounds that's uh, very obvious, yeah. right? But it had been so positive until then. You know, great start, thrashed Hamilton. I was about to say great point at Tynecastle, but given the way the game went, they should have actually won that game. But still, you think, you know, Ross County, nearly promoted team, going to Hearts, getting a draw. It's a decent result. But that Livingston result, it's, it's obviously not just losing, but the, the the way they lost being 3-0 down after half an hour, they completely fell apart and missing so many players now. If they go, I know it's maybe not likely because Aberdeen don't really score a lot of goals, but say they go to Pataudry and get another doing, then it completely saps the, the optimism away from like such yeah. a good start in, in two games. And going into an international break, I know that'll probably help them because they'll get some players back. But it also, it leaves that sort of bad feeling hanging over for like a two-week spell. Mm-hmm. Other worry as well is that that um, the four goals they let in, well, it's three of them are about 26-minute blitz, we'll call it. It's never a word you want to use in the studio. Is this the type of game that it could be one of those nil-nil uh, well, kind of games? For- I was going to say is like, because the goals they conceded were um, really badly defended. They were kind of just little individual errors. The first one was a header to free in the box to slot it in. Others were, I think they were set pieces and they were just going kind to of a bit of a mishmash. Aberdeen are good at set pieces, have been, especially with Constantine at the back post, although they're missing McKenna now, which is not going to help. Sam Cosgrove's good at those too. That could be a source of goals. I think Ross County will find it difficult. This is a, like a really tough game. It's one of the best teams in the league, should be anyway, but you'd think that might have rattled them a little bit because after that nice start, Welcome then suddenly the your, yeah, your ground is not quite as yeah. solid anymore, right? And then you need to kind of work out where you are. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Jeffers. And we host the Series Linked podcast, all about the telly that's both on and in demand. We're able to tell you what you should be watching and what might be worth a swerve. Previous guests include Simon Cowell, Susanna Reid... I'm Ricky Gervais. We speak to some of the biggest names in telly. Plus, we're compiling a definitive list of the box sets to watch before you die. Search for Series Linked on your preferred podcast app. The podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Time now for the latest odds with our man Lee Price at Paddy Power. Lee, it's Rangers v Celtic on Sunday. I'm sure you knew about this one. The home side won every derby last season. So will we see the same again? I do hate to be predictable, but yes, we think so. Rangers are the favourites here for us at 7-5. Although, to be fair, Celtic aren't a much longer price at 9-5. That said, if you do fancy Neil Lennon's men to buck last season's trend, that is the longest price you'll see them for domestic fixture this season. And yes, you heard the word domestic there rather than European. Ouch. 
Huge game for Hearts against Hamilton. Hearts' home record suggests this is far from a banker. Interesting. So yes, Hearts have only taken nine points out of a possible 30 during their last 10 home games. But Hamilton aren't so hot themselves. In the same time, they've taken just six points on the road, which probably explains the way we price this one. We make Hearts 4-11 odds on to get a much-needed win for Craig Levine, with Hamilton a 6-1 long shot. The draw is 7-2. And finally, we're just about to discuss the Dundee derby. Can the D snatch victory at Tannadice? It's early days, of course, but they really need to. They're already four points behind their rivals, and we make Dundee 13-5 to to win this one. United, on the other hand, have a 100% record, and Laurent Shankland, who's on fire so far this season. Who could possibly have seen that coming? The Tangerines are odds-on for the win here at 10-11, to with the draw, which I always think is value on Derby Day, 12-5. to Yes, if you're listening to us in Dundee on this fine Friday, then you are presumably pumped up for the first Dundee derby in over three years tonight. But there's only one team outside of the Premiership with a 100% record this season, and it's United. We're joined now by Richard Winton from BBC Scotland, who is actually a Dundee United fan. Richard, Robbie Nielsen's side. They couldn't be coming into this in better form. Fans must be feeling pretty confident then. Yeah, I mean it's been a it's been an excellent start to the to the league season. Certainly, with with three wins from the opening three games, there was a a bit of a blip in the uh, in the league cup, losing at home to East Fife. But that that seems to have dissipated a little bit with it with a good start in the in the championship. So scoring a lot of goals, um, not conceding too many, and the chance to go what it would be eight points clear of Dundee if they if they win on Friday. You wrote a piece for BBC Scotland about Tony Ashgar, the sporting director, a former policeman. How do you sum up his role at the club? He was kind of involved in um, greasing the wheels of the takeover by, by the American businessman Mark Ogren um, at the tail end of last year. Um, and then when they come in and that went through, he became in charge of the football side of the club. So he's, he's put in a whole new structure um, in terms of backroom teams and just how the club is run on the football side. So he's taken charge of all that. And there's been an awful lot of change in a, in a very short space of time. I think it's probably fair to say that things had drifted a little bit in recent times at Tardice in terms of the infrastructure and, and the investment in that. So putting that structure in place gives them a better chance of being successful, certainly. Um, ultimately, it, it comes down to what the, what the players on the pitch do, but they've now no excuses to put it that way. Everything is in place for them now. Um, and everything is set up and geared for them to go on and try and win this league this year. We have to talk about Lauren Shankland, the top goal scorer in the Championship by quite some distance. Why do you think a Premiership club didn't take a punt on him, given his goals record as well last year for air? It's a difficult one to call that. I mean, there was was certainly interest in Shankland from various clubs. I know Sunderland were very close to a deal, but then pulled out. Hull had huddled the cap as well in England. But the issue, from what I can understand, the issue for the boy is not so much money. He was determined to go where he was going to play football. And and not not quite be the be the main man in the team and, and to have that adulation, but just to continue his development of the past year or two by playing every week and scoring goals. And uh, while it would he probably wouldn't say he sees United as a stepping stone, it's a case of if he goes to United, does well it's then easier to make that transition to a bigger English club or a bigger Scottish club, I suppose, if it, if it came to it. What about Dundee? Can they can they get a win? Are things turning around under James McPake as well? Um, they have started reasonably well. I mean, they're, they're unbeaten in the league, certainly. Um, and they have got a, 
a decent squad there. But I think it will be t- between the two Dundee clubs um, at the top end of the championship this year. So on the night, there's absolutely no reason that, that Dundee can't get something out of the game and might get something out of the game. But here's hoping they don't. <laughs> this is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven and JJ Bull. On the last podcast, I, very speedily, and with no consideration whatsoever, opted for a win, a Livy win, at Ross County last weekend. And I was spot on, thanks very much. Finn Marks tried to use logic and pointed out it had been a year since Livingston had won away from home in the Premiership. Logic will get you nowhere in football, Finn. So next up for the Lions, St Mirren at the Tony Macaroni on Saturday. Callum Brown from the Talk Livy podcast joins us now. Callum, they're doing it again. We thought they might struggle, but it's three games unbeaten in the Premiership, through to the League Cup quarterfinals. The mood must be pretty good right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're all delighted with the start in Livingston. Um, still early days, of course. I don't want to get carried away. But now we're looking good. Uh, eight unbeaten. It's probably, our, I think, it's our joint best start to the season so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Saturday gave us our first away League One nearly a year. Um, very solid in the Betfred Cup. I was slightly worried, um, you know, with how we'd cope in the league, but I think we looked solid. Could have beaten Motherwell on another day. That was obviously a 0-0 draw. And then against St Johnston, definitely should have, should have beaten them. That felt like a loss. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that shows how far we've come. Obviously, uh, you're disappointed in not getting the results in these games. But the Ross County game was excellent. Dominated start start to finish. So. I'm, I'm delighted with, with how we're getting on so far. In our preview show, I, I kind of picked out Lyndon Dykes um, as maybe a, a player to watch. It was more frustrating for, for Queen of the South fans, but certainly a player with some ability. What do you make of him so far? He's actually really impressed me. I'm buzzing with the, with, with the signing. Uh, obviously, we got him last season in January, but mm. I, think he, I think we loaned him back. But no, he's been he's been an excellent excellent addition. Uh, I think he suits our style perfectly, mm-hmm. much better as I say than I thought he would be. He's a lot quicker as well than I thought he was. So he has, he's got the ability to go in behind. He's not necessarily a target man, but he, he's great at that as well. Holds the ball up well, brings the midfield into the game, wins flick ons. Chase's down loss causes a lot in that. I think that's why he fits into our style so well, because you know the last few years we've. We've kind of built a philosophy on just chasing down lost causes and being probably one of the hardest working teams in the league. Credit to him as well because a couple of weeks ago he missed that penalty away at St Johnston. Yeah. He's bounced back from that, uh, two goals in two games. Do you think uh, Gary Holt gets enough credit outside of West Lothian? Like, his recruitment's been good, he's defied everything last season and now this season he lost the spine in the team. So Kelly Gallagher and Halkett's out. Do you think he's getting enough credit for what he's done? Um, personally, nah, I don't. I don't think he has. He's he's not got much credit at all. Um, he should have been up for manager of the year really last season. Uh, mm. He did a terrific job. Started well this season as well. I wouldn't say he's maybe gone under the radar, but I think people have sort of ignored it. People forget the fact that we were totally written off last season, and to come in and we were basically you know safe by Christmas. Um, and obviously he took over a, a kind of Kenny Miller team in a way. Mm. Who tried to kind of imprint his own style, but Gary Holt went back to basics. Uh, I think it helped with the backroom staff; they were already there. Guys like David Martin Dale on the on the backroom staff that helped kind of built on the success from the last few years. Kept confidence high. Important first win in charge when he was away at St Mirren. Mm-hmm. But um, this season, he's began to you know build his own team, kind of imprint his style on it, and I think we look much better going forward. Actually, 
he's been a fantastic appointment. He fits Livingston perfectly for me. David Hopkins is always going to be difficult to replace, but um, Gary Hope's been brilliant. You don't hear a bad word about him either. I've spoken to him obviously uh, several times through the through the podcast, through Talk Livy, and he's he's a really nice guy. He's been brilliant with us. So hopefully it's another great year for him. Last six St Mirren matches in all competitions, I've only seen four goals. It's safe to say Jim Goodwin is running a tight ship, not a tip. Agree? (laughs) Do you know it was a tip when we all tipped Livingston to go down? We did the same last season. I've been very impressed with what Goodwin's done at St Mirren so far. Mm. We know he's not working with the most talented group of players. No. But... When you take into account the first three games they've had uh, way to Hibs and then home to Aberdeen and Rangers, mm-hmm. I think he said himself, if, if they'd been offered three points from those three games at the start of the season, then they would have taken it. And they've been, we saw St. Mern get a good few hammerings last season, especially by the teams up, obviously, near the top of the table. So to to go through those three games and look so defensively solid, yeah. and particularly you look at like the Rangers game, it was just like one moment of brilliance from a set piece that broke them down in the end. I think the question is going to be more in these type of games now when they play Livingston, Hamilton, St. Johnston. This is the big test for them. Isn't How it? do they switch then to go from containing uh, to attacking? But I felt that in the Aberdeen game, especially, they at least showed signs that they can yeah. they can be dangerous. On the, That was more on the break, but they can cause problems going forward. So no, I think I'm quite interested to see how this one goes because I think it'll give us a good indicator as to how these two sides are, are shaped up for the season. If Livingston won again, then you could see them maybe recreating what they did last year and getting themselves safe early and St Mirren near the bottom battling it out. But if St Mirren win, then yeah, maybe they can they can have pretensions of not at least not being in a relegation fight and probably not pushing to the top six, but at least you know getting themselves into that sort of safety zone that Livingston did last season. Because St Mirren never got that early on last season, yeah. they never had a springboard at all. So JJ, do you think St Mirren have got the minerals? The minerals, well, St Mirren's minerals. <laughs> Goodwin's uh, made them really organised, and I think that Rangers game is a really good example of exactly that. I think last season they would have been taken apart. Maybe it's because it's renewed season, so they've got a, a, a glimpse of you know something they can actually physically get onto, rather than just accepting that they're plummeting down ever ever longer towards an abyss of relegation. But now they can possibly make their season a bit easier for themselves, and that gives you a bit more momentum, a bit more drive. And defending that game was good. Like Rangers struggled to create chances, and uh, yeah, I also want to see how they then turn that into not containing, but how they build play in the opposition half whether they are cautious and sort of like with St Johnson were last season where you you just make sure you don't concede first of all and then anything else you get off the back of that is a bonus yeah, yeah, so yeah. we should be enough to see you through a season We talked about how Motherwell and Hibs might be a guaranteed goal fest St Johnson v Kilmarnock maybe not uh, St Johnson have failed to score in their last four meetings with Kilmarnock but it's Back-to-back 2-2 draws for the Saints. Drama in Perth, though. Richard Foster, you know that guy who's married to Amy McDonald. Well, he's played his last game for the club, signing for Ross County after a training ground bust-up with Tommy Wright. Yeah, he likes a scrap with his own team, does Richard Foster. (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't know, he he was sent off... A couple of seasons now. Maybe was it last season even? I'm trying to remember. For actually. a having a fight with his own teammate at Hamilton, I think they both got sent off. But now with 
with St Johnston, they've steadied the ship a little bit. I mean, they had that terrible start to the season, not just in the being thrashed seven 0 by Celtic, but um, going out the the Betfred Cup to sort of lower league opposition. And when they were two 0 down at home at Livingston on the second day of the season, you thought this could this has all the makings of being a really long hard season for them. But battling back to get that two two draw and then getting a late point at Hibs. Um, might have sort of raised them a bit and at least have shown that they have got a bit of a goal threat and should be adding to that because Stevie May should be joining them or rejoining them. So Don signed him for 400,000 in 2017. That's, that's a lot of money. It's been a good investment, hasn't it? Oh, I mean, the thing is, if, he, if he'd been anywhere close to what he was at St Johnston before he went to Preston and then I think injuries have kind of... I was going to say, injuries is one of those things that... Um, I always remember Kills being, your confidence, right? being at a St Johnston Celtic game like years ago now, and there just been this like little guy with the ponytail trading with like see when the subs come on at half time and do like the sort of warm ups and stuff like that. Yeah, it, what I always stuck in my head was because like he seemed quite like tiny at the time, and he was just dribbling around everyone and like you know taking the mick out of all the St Johnston players. And then when you see the sort of beast he became, right? Like how he like built up physically so much, and you see that so often that when players do that overtrain to get that extra strength, then their knees can go. I mean, the best example of it was, and I'm not comparing him as players, but like original Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo. And I think that was the problem with like Stevie May. He had those really bad knee injury in, when he was down in England and had just not come back the same player. I'd say I think you lose a bit of pace. I mean, I don't, obviously, we don't know for certain if he's, uh, he's overtrained and killed himself, but like he scored <laughs> 20 goals in 2013 14. Was that the same year they won the Cup? Scottish Cup. Remember that Scottish Cup final and he was absolutely brilliant in it. And I was like, if he could go to Aberdeen, what a signing that would be. But that is sort of what he's been living off because since his injuries have taken maybe a bit of pace, a bit of confidence, a bit of momentum out of his career. So just because they've signed, like, you know, he should never go back. But just because he's gone to St. Johnson doesn't mean he's suddenly going to refine the spark. God, I would like it a lot if he sure. did. Yeah, yeah, sure. But um, having watched him over the past two seasons, this is not the same CVMA. It is a different player. Well, listen, May might be finding it difficult to get goals, but Kilmarnock are finding it even harder. They've only scored four in their last six. Eamon Brophy, their main striker, has scored just one goal from open play in 2019. That's the correct. pressure is on him. He scored eight when Stewart was there in the first half of last season. Yeah, but this is a guy who's taken the number nine shirt off of Chris Boyd. I was just about to say, what's, <laughs> what is Chris Boyd doing? Get him out the studio. And get him in the box. <laughs> I thought feed, I th- feed the Boyd and he will score. JJ just said, "Don't go back." But Chris Boyd went back and did all right. Yeah, some players can do it, I guess. I mean, there's no set rule. But the thing is, they played. They played Rangers. They scored. Could have scored two. Had Brophy missed a sitter, mm-hmm. um, so they're cre- they're creating chances. So what about this new guy that they've brought in, Dario Del Fabro? I hope he's Fabi Dozy or Dozy Fabi. I don't know. Van Dabi Dozy. There you go. That's the one I was trying to go. It's a great name. Um, Italian defender. Well, the thing is, right? So there's no. Just because it doesn't mean he's doesn't guarantee that he's actually any use. So sure. You remember, like um, Sadiq played for Rangers last season, was on loan for from Roma. Roma, yeah. And he didn't do particularly well. Laurentiu Brunescu they've also got from Juventus a goalkeeper who looks okay so the, if he's that's really... your feeder team that's pretty good like. <laughs> it's not bad yeah although Slivka came from Juventus he was captain of their B team wasn't he he went to Hebs obviously so lots of UV rejects coming to or maybe rejects <laughs> is the wrong word coming to Scottish football the, uh, the interesting thing is going to be if this game goes wrong again for Kamarnock <laughs> okay. if they don't beat St Johnson I mean they've already lost at Hamilton yeah. I mean this is mm-hmm. proper relegation form 
so far. But at least Apart- you can see there's good in there, I think. You can see, but I wonder how much of it is... I think the, the good that's in there is the organisation, for example, when they've played home games against uh, Rangers and Aberdeen, particularly yeah. the Rangers game, Rangers are going to come and make the game, and they adapted to that, and that was very much what they did very well under Clark, was giving up possession, getting themselves into, into shape. That spell of that Rangers game from being 1-0 down to 1-0 is definitely the best I've seen Kamarok under Alessio. But how much of that is just like that they had the muscle memory of the Clark team? You can see what his ideas are. I just can't see them at the moment. I don't see the evidence of them working or the players reacting to what he wants them to do. I agree. And so one of the things that I noticed with it is that each game that they've played so far, they're shelling the ball from the start. And after about 10 minutes, Celestial comes up off his bench and starts telling him to wise up and keep it on the deck. And then they start doing that. And towards the end of each half, once they've calmed down a bit, that's when they start playing this kind of passing football. The shape is a 4-1, 4-1 or whatever. But they've got Gary Dicker playing as a midfielder behind um, El McCreaney and Alan Power. So it's a very defensive midfield. And Dicker is, as he did very well last season, as part of a two. But I don't think he's Pirlo. And so having him float about, trying to get in positions, he's not in the right places at the right times. A lot of their play is going forward the way that Lesho wants them to do. And then there's no options because the players don't know where they're meant to be because maybe they just haven't learned it yet. And so the ball goes straight back. Well, if there was ever pressure on Alessio, there's plenty more on Craig Levine and at Hearts, who have a huge game against Hamilton. They host Hamilton, um, who haven't won at Tynecastle for 42 years. So surely... Surely, um, <laughs> Hearts will get the result that they want. It's this type of game we've looked at um, Ross County a couple of weeks ago that Hearts are normally always expect to win and haven't been. I mean, if you go back a year ago or even a bit further into the season, they had an absolutely flying start last Flawless. season. Yeah, and then from then on, it's not just the taking on this season so far it's been a poor start it's like now on 30 league games now there's been quite a severe regression like if you take away the the great start to last season so yeah there's a there's big pressure on them i mean i still don't think we've been over this before so i'm not sure there's pressure on levine for his job because he has such a good relationship with with ann budge but i think this could be a real turning point with the fans where there's some uh, some fans are disgruntled with him at the moment but say for example they weren't to win uh, on Saturday I think you would get a huge section of Tynecastle turning on him well you are right It was Hearts won 8 of their first 10 Premiership games and then 7 of their next 28 so this has been a long term decline we discussed in the podcast it is the home form that's putting the pressure on Levine taking 9 points from a possible 30 at Tynecastle in 2019 Although, like we always talked in the pod about how injuries have kind of derailed them a lot yeah. and have held them back, Craig Levine has had a good amount of budget yeah. to bring in whoever he wants and he's been backed. Is Ikpiazu an integral to the team anymore? Where's he going? What's happening to him? Washington's been playing a lot. Naismith comes in, but then he's playing them in a, in a wide area rather than central because that way he can get other players in the team. I think McLean does well when he comes in and plays, but again, he's not a starter. Playing Sean Clare in midfield has done okay. He, he's had time and support to bring in the players to take hearts to where they should be and they have a good amount of money behind them. Do you think he's had too much time then? I don't think he's too... I mean, I, it's really hard to tell because I don't... I don't have, I've never really enjoyed watching Craig Levine teams. They're never that fun to watch. Very pragmatic, but I think overly defensive. And if you have the support and the ability to recruit like he has done... I think you should expect a little bit more, especially with the budget they have. The wage budget, specifically, is what I mean. But like Anne Budge said that 
I think he's done a really good job in terms of what he was asked to do when he joined and in terms of everything else that he's built, they've got an infrastructure on the footballing side that is second to none. But that's not to do with managing the first team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was going to say, because that depends whether you take it all the way back to the, um, the when he came in and they were in the, the championship. So he came in as kind of director of football and um, Robbie Nielsen was the manager. So if that's what she's referring to and like where they were then yeah. to where they are now. Yeah, you could say in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. <laughs> I'd agree he's with that, a, yeah. he's done a decent job. But since he went from being purely sporting director to kind of this weird amalgamation of a sporting director and manager, he kind of got them, I was going to say out of trouble, but they weren't really even in trouble because Cathro got sacked so early in the season. Um, it wasn't like they were in a relegation battle and he took them out of it. And I think given the the way they started last season, that the slide has been so dramatic that I think they're probably better off with a change of manager, but then... It's yeah. It's what it's what that means. What do you do? Does that mean he goes back to being sporting director? And if you do that, then that's kind of weird for a manager yeah. working under him. It's or does he just to have to leave? Where it's like like inevitable that something happens. You know, at a liminal point where you like you have to actually do something. Where if they're in the relegation zone at Christmas, then you go like goodbye, Craig. But I don't <laughs> know. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. He might turn around and we'll be like, oh, he's a genius again. Is is this amount of pressure then on Craig Levine going to benefit Hamilton then? What are their chances going into this game? I've already said that they haven't won there in 42 years, but can they go in there knowing that there's no pressure on themselves? Uh, I wonder how much pressure... I mean, they'll feel pressure later in the season if they're still down where we're expecting to be hanging on forever, eternally. They kind of win one game and lose the next. They defend well in one game and then they're they open up too much in the next and they're, they're torn apart. But uh, it's also, is there, how much pressure is there really ever on them in the sense yeah. <laughs> that they're expected, to struggle, they're expected to go down every season? Yeah. So just being in the fight for it, it's not like you know they're performing below expectations. They've probably got more points than they bargained for at this stage of the season thanks to that Kilmarnock win. Yeah. What I, I do like about them since Brian Rice came in is they're at least a bit more entertaining. Like They used to be very dull under Martin Canning and also not very good. Whereas at least under Brian Rice, they go and try and win games. They take that kind of approach of it's uh, much better to go and win the odd game than to try and hold out for a draw because, you know, obviously yeah. it takes three draws I mean, to get people He's picking his battles, win. though. Like, some of the games I've watched at Hamilton, they have been quite defensive. Like that win over Kilmarnock, the two goals literally came from, I think it was Easton, just humping the thing 20 yeah. miles in the air. And then uh, like Oakley took it down for the, the second, I think it was. But they've, he's brought in some young players, let go of some players as well. Lewis Smith, youngster, the guy who plays on the right, yeah. he scored against Kilmarnock, and I think he's he technically scored the other one, but Oakley nicked it. <laughs> he's done quite well. And uh, Hamilton always has to rely on youth because they've got that magical academy water, as we yeah. revealed last season. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree with this. What pressure do they have? Like They can go into this, and if they lose, everyone will be like, oh, well, it's all right, but... If they win, it'll be knives out for Mr. Levine. Just, just before we, we wrap everything up here, um, another mention on the Scotland squad with the subject of hearts. No Craig Halkett, um, but Stephen Naismith makes it. What do we think of the squad overall um, for the games against Russia and Belgium? Are we happy with it? You mentioned earlier on, Kieran, that we've got no goalkeeper and no centre-forward. And no centre-backs. No centre-backs. And no right-back. Um <laughs> And strikers. Oh God! I mean, don't honestly. Yeah, the, the Johnny Russell. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. So I was going to say, killing it in Kansas. I was going to say Naismith. I'm not convinced he's really played enough football to be included. But 
there's such a paucity of options. I mean, I suppose the argument is why pick Naismith and not Griffiths, for example, mm-hmm. um, both in a sort of similar situation in terms of having, I know for very different reasons, but for ha- having a long layoff at the end of last season and then in and out the team but so then, far this season. Sense though, right? But then you can, you can understand weighing up the pressures of playing top-level football. I know Celtic is top-level football, but yeah. the pressures of international football, bear in mind Stephen Naismith is a veteran at this level. He can probably handle a lot of these things. I'm not saying that Lee Griffiths couldn't, but maybe it's just playing it a bit safe in games that maybe there's a lot of expectation yeah, the real people not do so just, well, perhaps. Yeah, the real people. You want to give him some time and some space to like just chill out. He's just coming through a horrible time. Like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they have very different footballing philosophies, but look, just looking at the squad, I think Steve Clark needs to like bring out his inner Pep Guardiola. <laughs> and you know, Pep's always said how he'd love to just name a team of midfielders. I think if we could do that, <laughs> then we can you know, pretty much put a decent team together. Didn't, but didn't Levine do that? <laughs> That was all, all defenders. Oh, right, oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. The, uh, but you could play, like... I mean, realistically, you could honestly play... I don't like how the, the term false nine gets thrown around all the time now, but you could play Christie and, like, Stuart Armstrong in a, in a two at the top and just dart around between each other in that ten space in the nine. Mm-hmm. You could have... Christie is basically a second striker anyway. It's what he is. And then behind him, you've got players like McGinn. I like Ryan Jack. I think he'd be decent. But then you, Cal McGregor has to play McTominay maybe as well. And why did you get Fraser and Snodgrass? Like the the left and right and Forrest you have one as well. It's, it's well this is this is what Keaton's saying. We're we're blessed in midfield. It's I mean, just all the other major departments that we're play, not blessed in. I think it'd be a shame because he's playing so well at the moment on the right and that's his best position. But Forrest would be more likely candidate to play as a false nine, I would say. Yeah. Than than either of those. But this, who would play the right is the only thing of because he's the most play Snodgrass cutting in. Possibly, yeah. And then, well, it depends if you want to play. But you want width in the right, because right back. Well, but if you want, it depends. Actually, if you want inverted wingers, then you do that. If you want, you could play. You have Fraser on the left and Sonnerson on the yeah, right. Yeah. If you want wingers that stay wide on their natural foot, then you play Snodgrass left and Fraser right. But you well, got, have you got to have the, the, the you got to have width on that right side. And like you're saying, we've got no right back. I mean, but I think because we don't have Donald's a, there, we don't have a striker. So you're not as if you're going to be thinking of crossing balls in for the striker. You're going to. Particularly for Fraser, you're probably going to be looking at you know yeah. him cutting inside and having shots at goal rather than I, yeah. I guess I mean, more for, for just for the stretch in the the opposition team. I mean, not that we keep the ball much, but you can look at loads exactly. of left players in the right. I, I think player. I think we have to bear in mind that playing Russia is going to be dramatically different from playing Belgium. I suspect Belgium so, will be quite hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there there is probably two squads in there that he's going to utilise, and that's why maybe it looks like the the varying qualities are obvious to see, but. Listen, guys, we could talk about it all night, um, but that is all the time we've got this 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 evening. So thanks to JJ, thanks to Kieran, thanks to the Little Kicks for providing our theme song, um, and thanks to you for listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Feel you free most to, of all. Yeah, you're the most. You're the real ones. hero. <laughs> exactly. We'll be back next Friday on the day of that Euro 2020 qualifier between Scotland and Russia. Come on, Scotland. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Totally